Welcome to the Leading by History podcast, where we take our listeners on a journey, walking and talking our way through history to delve into some of the deepest thoughts, concepts, ideas, issues, and challenges. We know you're going to enjoy your time with us. Come along for the journey, Leading by History. We look forward to getting to know you better. Welcome back to another episode of the Leading by History podcast. I'm your host, Masiahu Israel, back again in season four um, with with more great information and another wonderful guest. So we've got Dr. Christina Prenza Coles with us today, who is the author of the text called American Founders, if you can see that there, American Founders, uh, How People of African Descent Established Freedom in the New World. This is going to be a great conversation. Dr. Proenza Coles, how are you today? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. All right. And I hope that I did your name justice because I'm all about name justice. It's funny. I was, th- I was like, you did it perfectly. And I was like, okay. hey, and a lot of people asked me beforehand, and I was like, you didn't even ask. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I wanted to have you on because I found in Twitterverse, you know, I'm not a, a social media person, but in my day-to-day nine-to-five, if you will, you know, they want us to keep a Twitter and keep information flowing about the work we're doing. And so I found uh, Twitter historians on there. And... I think the the first one I was introduced to was Kevin Levin, who's been with us on the show a couple of times. And I started finding like just the best scholars in different areas of history and starting to reach out to folks and really building some great connections and relationships with folks in the, the world of history. And so I saw your book, started following you. I started seeing every day you were putting out tweets about African people that many folks had never heard of, many that I didn't know uh, in-depth history about. And I said, you know what? I'd love to see if I can get her on the show. And in reaching out to you, you saw what we were doing with the program and and uh, obliged to come on. So it's a pleasure to have you on, and I really want to talk about this wonderful baby that you have here, American Founders, and uh, and get into this. But before we start, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Where are you from, and what got you into the world of, of history so that our audience who are not familiar can know your journey? Well, it's funny, you, you mentioned like the Twitter Twitterverse, and it just, just yesterday I posted an image um, from 1895, of this portrait of these Bahamian family. It's actually one family, um, an extended family of um, Bahamian settlers who came to South Florida in the 1870s, 1880s. And they literally founded what is the oldest neighborhood in what is today the city of Miami. Um, mm-hmm. And prior to that, there were Tequesta native people who have been living there for 2000 years. But, but after the arrival of the Spanish, it was an uninhabited place, Miami. And so someone was asking me yesterday when I posted the tweet, um, why do you do what you do? And I, I wanted to say, like, it's this, it's this 
image right here. I'm, I'm from Coconut Grove. I'm from this neighborhood. When I was growing up in Coconut Grove, Miami in the 1970s, I mean, it was, it was still a Southern town. It was, you know, my teachers and, and my friends and my, you know, parents would tell me, you know, racism is bad, but it was, it was an apartheid city. I mean, Miami is a really segregated city. But the more that I learned about where I was from, you know, it's a Caribbean town, Miami is. It's, it's a Southern town, like I said, but also it's a very Latin town, you know, a really big uh, Hispanic Latino uh, culture there. And so it just really set me on a journey to, to, to see how, you know, my little town like fits in with this whole history of the Americas. It kind of connected all these dots for me. And, you know, if you want to understand, you know, the history of America, I find you have to look kind of broad. You have to look at the Americas as a whole. So mm-hmm. that set me to a lot of different scholarly programs. Long story short, I ended up teaching African diaspora history at Virginia State University, which was a fantastic um, experience. And there I was teaching classes like world history, U.S. history, Latin American history. And every year as I was getting ready for the classes and preparing, you know, new material, I kept coming across the stories of these incredible African descended men and women who had just done extraordinary things. And they might be just like little, little like text boxes, like in a textbook, you know, some little aside or some, something kind of that you come across as like a footnote. And there just was so many individuals that it just, it fundamentally changed how I understand American history. And I wanted to try to put all these individuals together in, in one book. And then I always say too, like, you know, American Founders is a synthesis of the work of other scholars. Like this is work that's been done by lots and lots of historians and researchers, you know, starting back with, you know, William C. Nell in the 1850s, writing about Black patriots and the American Revolution. Um, so I'm, I'm just kind of putting their work together in one, one place. Mm. So I pulled up, I had an, an image of, of the uh, text up, um, and I'll pull it up again. You know, uh, forward by my buddy Ed Ayers. Um, so, you know, if, if he stamped it, there's some research going on in here. There's some good research in here. <laughs> um, and so, you know, th- this text right here, it's just tell me about the um, it's available on Amazon. Um, so we've got that up for those who want to purchase there. But um, tell me about the the photos that are on the cover uh, are all of these folks mentioned in the text or, or, or do they represent folks that are in the text? Um, these folks that you came through, um, that you saw in the process of research, tell us about this cover. What, what, why? Oh, I love know? that you asked this because, um, these are all images that they're, they're all individuals in the book. And there's, there are many more individuals in the book, um, than just the, the, the folks featured on the cover, but they are all images that I tracked down and was able to get permission to use from various archives or, or some of them are in the public domain, but long story long, I made that cover. I made that mosaic and I showed it to the publisher, mm-hmm. New South Books, who are wonderful and the first response was, you know, in a world where like things are thumbnails and, you know, on your phone, like that's, that's not going to work. You know, you need, you just need like a big single image. But I was, I was really kind of wedded to this idea of, of it just kind of gives you, I feel like it gives you a, a, like an instant kind of understanding of what we're doing here, which is that, that a number of people in the book, it's overwhelming. I mean, it's an overwhelming number of people, but to me, that's part of the message of the book, which is that these men and women, they are not, they're not exceptions to American history. These are the men and women who, who made American history. And there's more people than we can you know, count or name. 
so yeah, all these are all these are all individuals who are featured in the book. And then when I do the daily posting for Twitter, I'm able to track down more images that aren't on the cover. So there's just such a rich, you know, rich kind of uh, visual uh, history out there as well. Mm. Yeah, I, I see, you know, the images of, of folks right off the top, Alauda Equiano, Du Bois, this gentleman, um, oh, his name escapes me right now. They're doing a special on him, something in Virginia. Uh, this gentleman right here, oh, what's his name? Anyway, go look it up, audience, and uh, find out who that gentleman is in the top left-hand corner, second from left down. I have it somewhere. He worked during the time period of the American Revolution, but his name escapes me right now. I was just talking about him like last Wednesday because our, uh, some of my partners from Self-Evident Media, who've also been on the show, are going to be doing an animation of his story. But yeah. Is but it James Armistead? No. Uh, that is not the, that's not the, not the okay. name that comes to mind. It's, it's, um, it's one of those old like biblical names. Um, but you know what? I will take a look and see. But there's so many. But that's what I love is that you may not know the names of every person. Some of the folks on here you you may just have remembered seeing in your research. But it makes you want to know like, hey, I've seen that image before. Who is that? And I think that that's an awesome part of what you did. I actually like that. A lot of people are going with the single image on the cover, which works as well. But I really like this. This drew me in from the beginning when I saw it. So it's not often that an author actually creates the cover for their book that I know of. So that's this is special. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. I'll be honest with you. So first of all, I, I can, I'm always seeing this really small on my screen. The guy, the gentleman on the top left right there, he's from Massachusetts. Yes. And his name is escaping me because it's an unusual name. And he fought under um, Kosciuszko and he, he yes. fought for like many, many years in the American Revolution. And yes. he uh, was freed afterwards and just sort of like, a, I want to not in Concord, but somewhere in Massachusetts. And he knew Elizabeth Freeman, who sued for her own freedom yes. in the wake of the American Revolution. Yes. Um, and his name starts with an A and you're right. I can't yeah, think of his it's name one either. Of those, yeah, it's one of those like old <laughs> Bible names. But but yeah. but yes, and there's a connection to here in Richmond. I'm just learning that I, about I didn't it. know. I didn't know that. I didn't know there was a Richmond connection. Yeah, I'm just learning about it. I'm just learning the history. There's some connection because I don't I, I don't want to I don't want to misspeak here. And then everybody's like, oh, leading by history, you led us astray. Now, this is not leading astray by history. This is leading you to history. But I saw the image and it's somebody that I just learned about last week. But yes, you're correct with the with the backstory. There's some more to it. I've, I've just got to look for it. But yeah. I'm going to have to, you're not, you're going to have to educate me about that. But also, is there any way I can, I want to show you the paperback. Can we look at the paperback that's on um, Amazon? Yes. Is there a way, way to can, do that? We can do that, yeah. Because yeah. my publisher, when we did the paperback, they were like, you know what? Maybe it is too busy. So can you please pick one image for the paperback? Um, so yeah, if you could, yeah. There you go. So we, we did the single image. And so there's a little bit of a story to that as well. Okay. So after... American Founders came out, I saw this image of a woman seated, sepia toned on social media. Someone sent it to me through social media. And the story was that a daguerreotype collector had just collected a whole bunch of um, large plate glass negatives recently. And he just recently developed them. And he found this image when he developed mm. the plate glass negatives. And he's also in the North somewhere. And he had determined that what he had was a bunch of negatives that had been taken by a photographer who had worked in the Civil War. He's like a white photographer. I can't think of his name. 
And he didn't know who it was, the, the collector, Stephen Rastelli. And then he read about Susie King Taylor from Savannah, Georgia, who had served in the American Civil War and as a nurse. She cleaned weaponry. I mean, she, she did everything. And also, I think it's because her husband was enlisted in the war. And so Stephen Rastelli thinks that this may be an image of Susie King Taylor. And there's an image of her on the other version of the book that's like a much more traditional image. That's, that's in, she published a book about her wartime experience which includes an image of her that's a much more traditional image that people recognize. It's not, it's not certain that this is Susie King Taylor on the cover of the book. But as I said in the introduction, you mentioned um, Allowed to Equiano, there was an mm-hmm. image that was attributed to him for a long yes. time. Then they said, oh, wait a minute, that's not, I don't think it's him because of the what he's the cravat or whatever he's wearing, like it's the wrong time frame. Yes, yes, and so I now the museum where it is, is, is saying like, well, you know, we're not, we don't think it is him. And then there was another image of, of a Richmond lady of forgetting her name, the amazing civil war spy. Who, um, Mary um, Bowser. Thank you. And so yeah. there's an image of her that was going around. And then somebody was like, you know what? That image is like too late. Like that image, it's, it's, and it says, you could says Petersburg in the image, mm-hmm. Virginia. And it's like, this is, this is a different Mary Bowser. This isn't the same Mary Bowser from the civil war just because of the timing again. But so for me, what was so exciting is then you have to say, well, then who, who is that woman? Right. You know, who is, who, exactly. Who's that Mary Bowser? Or who is that gentleman with the cravat in the in the painting, you know, in the 19th century painting in, in the museum in London? And so right. to me, it's more exciting when when it's the, when we realize that they're misattributions because you're like, well, whoever that woman was, we just saw she was wearing a military bodice mm. and she has an incredible look in her eye that, you know, to me, whether she's Susie King Taylor or not, she's emblematic of this tradition of black men and women who fought so hard for freedom and democracy. So I think I just, this, this idea of all these different images, I think, right. I think it's so interesting. Yeah. And that's what I think, you know, just, just gives credence to the fact that this was the cover that you should have used, <laughs> right? Like you made the yeah. right decision. But yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think it also allows us to see how understanding history, this is a process. It's not going to be very clear and clean all the time. We've got to get in and we've got to work through the stuff. And uh, and that's what historians do. You know, if you think you're just going to walk into research and all of a sudden you're going to find 100% of the truth, 100% of the facts right off the bat, but just by opening the page of a book or examining an image, you, you've got another thing coming. I mean, history is a search for the truth, which means that there's a lot of obscurity in between what we currently have and what we're attempting to figure out. It's a, it's a never-ending journey to always find more and more about the past to be able to piece together what we know about mm-hmm. the past, you know. I'm not one of those historians that believes that uh, there's nothing true. Uh, that there are historians who believe in the perspective that there's nothing true at all and everything is just a uh, just conjecture on our part. But then that sort of, to me, just sort of, it ruins the, <laughs> the, the purpose of what we're attempting to do. But what we do have to understand is that it's a journey and that's the fun that's the intellectual curiosity that is raised in us when we say i want to know more and what we know about this so far isn't quite accurate so let's get back to the most accurate that we can and you know every day i'm reading you know archaeological research stuff that's coming out saying what we believed for 50 years we've now found that it's not the truth and i'm like wow you know i mean but hey you know i i remember being a kid playing with the general lee uh you know 
little car and little action figures from Dukes of Hazard, and yep. never thought as a child that I wasn't represented in the TV show that I had as a favorite toy of mine a flag that represented, according to Alexander Stevens' cornerstone speech, the truth of nature that the black man is not the equal of the white man and is subject to servitude, you know, in life. That's his place in this civilization. I didn't realize that that's what I was playing with as a kid, and obviously my parents didn't have that understanding either. I was just caught up in them dukes, them dukes, you know, that that was that was it, you know, a boss hog and you know, all of those folks. And so, you know, we learn, we grow. And, uh, and, and that's, that's the beauty of it. You know, I think there's a biblical phrase that says we see through a glass dimly, you know, before we see face to face. And I think that's what the study of history is about. We see it a little fuzzy. We continue to look at it, you know, pick at it, dig deeper. And then we see, you know, a little bit more clearly. And thinking of that, don't want to go too deep into the artistic side of myself, but even in examining the cover of the text and how it sort of fades out in a blur towards the center is just an example of what I'm saying here. It's like, you want to know more. It's like, I think I can make out that image that's closer to your name at the top, but I can't really tell who that is. So let me go and talk to other people and say, do you know who this is? Can you give me a name? And then you search and you go deeper. So, yeah, it's a journey. It's a journey. And that's the part that I really love about doing the work of history is that we're constantly attempting to find out more and more. So speaking of that, in American Founders, what were some of the greatest revelations that you found in your research? Was there anything that while you were researching for this book that you were just like, whoa, or, you know, anything that stood out as you know, I mean, I know that's an, an on the spot question, but I just wonder if there's anything that stood out to you in the process of studying something that you thought you knew uh, a little bit about. And then you learned like, hey, was there any of that during this process? I mean, I would say the number one thing is that and this is super well documented. So a lot of for me, it was just having a shifting perspective on like what these facts that we already know mean. But the fact that before 1820, before 1820, 1830, four times as many Africans came to the Americas as Europeans. Mm. I mean, that's a that's an incredible figure. Like, so, yes. you know, and that's that's because of the involuntary kidnapping of men, women, and children from one continent and forcing them to another continent in the hugest demographic shift in world history. Mm. But on the other hand, another way to think about it, that means that before 18, before, you know, before the first quarter of the 19th century, the majority of you know Americans arriving in the new world were enslaved. It was another is another way that you could think about that. And people people take issue with me of like, well, how can you call them Americans if they're denied citizenship and they're absolutely denied rights? But that was part of my thinking with writing the book, which was that you know a lot of the people I'm writing about are are legally enslaved and they're also pushing history forward in very direct and explicit and impactful ways. And so from my vantage point, you know, to recognize that though enslaved people were were denied rights to say the very least, and that free people of color were denied rights, which is a kind of an innovation in you know modern slavery that you know people who were not enslaved were were denied rights because of just the association of African ancestry with enslavement. Mm. Still, these individuals were Americans nonetheless, who were shaping every aspect of American history from the most you know from like the literal building, obviously, and and you know the building of of towns and cities and, and 
planting agriculture, but to also the most watershed moments in terms of, you know, helping to, you know, establish independence movement against the colonial state and with the colonial state. I mean, that that's the other thing that I was struck by is that, you know, mm-hmm. In every event, you can find people on every side of, of the issue. And, uh, and and I look at moments of conflict, like slave revolts and, and independence uh, wars. Enslaved people, people of color were denied rights. So they're on the forefront of these movements to insist on them and to expand them and to enact them. So one thing that I found that was interesting is just that, that there's always people on sort of both sides of slave revolts. As you alluded to, these histories are complicated. You can't, you can't sort of guess someone's... Um, political affiliation, just because of their enslaved status or their African ancestry, people are fighting to survive. They're fighting to, you know, preserve their families. And so that was a bigger indicator I found. The, I mean, the one exception I think is so interesting, and you referenced the Civil War, you referenced the General Lee, and like, I grew, I mean, I'm of that age. We watched right. it every Friday night, and Catherine yeah. Bach and her teeny weeny little shorts, like, <laughs> that was just normal, you know? And, 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 and then on Saturday mornings, we watched Bugs Bunny cartoons, full of all kinds of weird Confederate stuff that like oh. I didn't like put together yeah. until, until things like Marlon, you know, Marlon Riggs documentary, ethnic notions blew my mind, you know, when I, when I first saw it back in the nineties or, or whatever, of just how much that visual culture, how much just that popular culture has shaped, you know, our, our worldview and kind of warped it. And I, and I, I do think it's really exciting that these days we have my mom, who's, you know, a, a late, you know, a woman from Savannah, Georgia, like she now understands like it was an act of treason. It was a war of traitors. Right. It was mm-hmm. a war for, and, the, and for her, it just wasn't, you know, I don't think it was, I don't think that that message was, was sort of like front and center. And I think that people have come to realize that. I think that's a great thing. And so that's the only war I can think of that you don't have people of African descent on the other side of that. I mean, right. you know, as far as I can tell, everybody is pulling for the North and for freedom. And, and I think there's like a couple of moments at the beginning with the Louisiana guard, because like Louisiana is its own like mm-hmm. interesting, like Caribbean, you know, history of just like having these like black and Haitian um, soldiers who are already been part of the militias, like since before Louisiana was part of the U.S. But, you know, that's that's the only example I can think of in the history of the Americas where you're not finding, you know, other than that, you're going to find black people who are both like, you know, royalists or patriots or maroons or militia and they clash, they fight each other, you know. And but for me, it's or, or this idea like people are like, oh, you know, there were there were black slave owners like slavery was the whole foundation of the Americas demographically, economically, politically. I mean, that was the system. And so, you know, some people some people were owning slaves because in Virginia, you know, you had to leave the state after a year if you were freed. So some people were owning people owning loved ones and trying to preserve families Correct. that way. But in other cases, you can see in Louisiana, like, you know, people who had enslaved apprentices, you know, um, or certainly in places like Haiti or, um, you know, where, where you have like a large free class of, you know, property class of people of color who are relying on enslaved labor to, for plantation production, because that was the system. Then they upturned that system through the Haitian Revolution and ended and are the, you know, Haiti's the, and this is another thing that struck me. You know, we talk about the U.S. as like the first democracy in the in the Americas, and people were like, people would say, "Oh, Haiti's the second republic in the in the Americas." I want to be like, but it's the first free republic in the Americas, right? Because so at the end of the American Revolution, one fifth of the population is enslaved, mm-hmm. one fifth, and so I'm like, that's not a democracy if you've got one out of five people. And again, this is how I'm framing it of like, I, I can, I'm thinking of these people as Americans, even if their rights are being denied, even if naturalization law is, you know, preventing them 
from having because so, the you know the naturalization law of 1790 mm-hmm. limited naturalization to, to whites to, to, free, to whites. Free whites free whites um, mm-hmm. so even with even with all of that kind of erasure these individuals were, were still there and they were still shaping this policy and, and you know why do you even have that policy in the first place the 1790 policy it's because the country's founded on slavery and democracy at the same time i'm saying that very contradiction that presence that reality is shaping every single decision that's happening right you know what that sounds like but... <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> but there's no escaping it there's it just it is our history you know there's just no there's no right. there's nothing we can do about it <laughs> Inside and yet outside, joke the listeners, those who are in the K-12 world, you definitely understand what's being said here because there are folks who want to deny this conundrum. (laughs) They want to deny this place in which uh, opposites existed in the same location where you had democracy and you had slavery at the same exact time. And And I would say that they're mutually constituted. They're not even, you know what I mean? I I agree with you that conceptually they're like irresolvable, but they actually like- We're brought together through this system of government as practice. We are that, like that is us today. Like we are the product of that. Right, without question. And and it influences uh, many things. And I think that that's a, a part of the lens that is so necessary. And I think that that's why the work that you've done here is is so important. So I want to talk when we we're going to take a brief break and and when we come back from that break, I want to talk about the idea or the concept of uh, founding and the idea of freedom. I want to talk about that. What does that mean so that we can make sure that we're clear in understanding that we'll be right back after this brief break. Hey, as a listener to the Leading by History podcast, we want to tell you about some exclusive opportunities available to you as a listener. If you go to patreon.com backslash leading by history today, you'll find that there are three tiers of support that will give you exclusive access to our program. We've got the official patron level, the all access tier, and the highest level, the VIP patron level of support. If you want to find out how you can have exclusive access and have impact on what we offer, go to patreon.com backslash leading by history today. And so before the break, we were talking about the idea of founding and the idea of freedom. Can you define, uh, because I think now we're, we're going we're gonna to dive into the text. We've, we've sort of had our, our conversation about history and perspective and all of those things to gear folks up. Now I want to dive into the text. I want to dive into the book. So can you define, well, how do you define founding? Because you, you make the statement from the very beginning that this is a text about how people of African descent established freedom in the new world, American founders. What do you mean by that? I mean, literally, these people who came to build 
what we regard today as the Americas. And so for me, the story, you know, it literally begins in 1492, you know, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Another, so another mm-hmm. thing that was interesting to learn is how many people of African descent were part of those expeditions. In fact, the people of African descent were part of all of the exploratory, ex, you know, from Magellan to uh, Columbus to not only were they part of the expeditions, there were some people of African descent who led these expeditions. So there was uh, an Afro-Portuguese explorer who was leading missions to what is today the Hudson Valley 80 years before Henry Hudson mm-hmm. in, in New York. I always start my classes too, like, you know, the, the beginning of, of, the, of the Americas, the new world, um, you know, the, the post-encounter world, post-conquest world, the, the beginning is it's Haiti, it's Hispaniola, it's Dominican Republic. And so that's where Columbus first lands. As you guys know, he doesn't come to the United States, but that's where the first settlements are. And those settlements have people of European ancestry and people of African ancestry from the absolute very, very beginning. There's, so there's, there's no separation between quote unquote American history and African American history. They're happening at the same time. They're completely intertwined. So, you know, people, men and women of African descent are helping to found those first settlements in Hispaniola throughout all of the Americas. And then speaking of one of these asides, there was like a reference to a textbook I was using in an American history class, I was talking about this settlement in, you know, the border of Georgia and South Carolina. It's before Jamestown. Um, and it was made by, it was, it was supposed to be an early, it was meant to be a permanent colony by a Spanish sugar planter who had been living in Hispaniola. He comes to this region of, like I said, South Carolina, Georgia, and he, he, bring, he starts a colony and he brings mm-hmm. colonists and he brings enslaved men and women and the colony is a disaster and the founder dies and most and the colonists go back to Hispaniola, but not before the African set of men and women had risen up and mutinied. That's, that's what I had read in the textbook and, you know, set fire to parts of the settlement and then went to live with the native population in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And so what occurred to me was that, so these individuals are preceding Jamestown. <laughs> these yes. individuals are living in what is today the United States. Um, and you also you could call them, uh, you know, a maroon community, perhaps, which also, you know, which, which are these communities of where enslaved individuals will liberate themselves and form these lasting, self-sufficient, independent communities outside of the reach of the colonial state. They'd often go to war with the colonial state. I mean, back to Hispaniola, that that's the whole story of the beginning of the Dominican Republic. And if people, if you wonder why plantation culture didn't take off in Dominican Republic the way it did in other parts of the Caribbean or Latin America, it's because the enslaved uh, African men and women formed such powerful maroon communities in the 1500s that they kept, they run away and join with native communities and attack the Spanish plantations. You know, the very first slave revolt, you know, 300 years ago, I guess, 1521 on the plantation of Christopher Columbus's son. Um, so that's how far this story goes back. So yes. this is what I mean by founding that This is from the very beginning that men and women of African descent are here and not only are they, you know, founding these settlements, they are they are working towards freedom from the beginning. So, you know, we my understanding is the first records of enslaved people are coming to um, being forcibly brought to Hispaniola and something like 1502 in Spanish records. 1503, there's a letter from the Spanish governor of Hispaniola writing back to the king of Spain saying, I, I, please don't, I, I can't, these individuals are running away. They're teaching the native communities bad habits is what he writes, meaning resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, so this story of, of freedom fighting, it is literally from the founding. It's from the beginning. 
um, of American history. And you can see that story I'm kind of telling about Hispaniola, you can see it all throughout other parts of Latin America, all throughout the Caribbean. You can see it in early Virginia. You know, people talk about Bacon's Rebellion, 100 yes. years before the American Revolution. You have um, black and white because Virginia is more is, is, is more unique in that it had the majority of the unfree workers in the very beginning, as you know, of Virginia history. The, it was it was Europeans who were also unfree in a totally different way, not a permanent heritable way, um, but that these groups were, were banding together. Um, enslaved men and women um, of African descent and European servants were banding together during Bacon's Rebellion a hundred years, you know, and so for me, but before the American Revolution. So for me, these are sort of like presaging, you know, independence wars, you know, and so I see like the Stoner Revolt in South Carolina or mm. Maroon Wars in Jamaica or Tacky's War, and they're such a fabulous, obviously, Vincent Brown is, you know, revolutionized that history of Tacky's War in such a brilliant way. These are, in my opinion, they are um, their declarations of independence mm. and that they are paving the way for those wars of independence that you see at the end of this of the 1700s, the beginning of the 1800s. And you, you can see it in documentation. You can see people in Richmond and people in South Carolina authorities wringing their hands with worry about what's happening in Jamaica. They're writing about it back and forth, saying that, you know, we don't want to have these problems that they're having in Jamaica right now. And other, so all of these Maroon uprisings or or um, the uprisings of enslaved people, they are having a real political effect, in my opinion, in terms of um, causing, you know, quite throwing the system of, of, of enslavement into, into question and, and making it more difficult. It's, it's eroding the political economy of slavery, I would argue, even if it doesn't bring it to an abrupt halt until until. You know, I'm also the school with Gary Nash saying that, you know, the American Revolution is the largest slave revolt in American history to that point. If you think about the um, not just the thousands of, of black patriots who served um, in the American Revolution on the patriot side, if, you talk, if you're talking about the tens of thousands, some estimates, maybe even 100,000 African-American men and women who were enslaved liberated themselves to join the British during the American Revolution to seek freedom. Mm -hmm. So this is another example that, you know, however you look at it, these are all individuals who are seeking freedom, whether it's on the patriot side or on the loyalist side. And so this idea of cap capitalizing on these military um, you know, political, you know, geopolitical issues to seek freedom. You can see it over and over again. You certainly see it in the American Civil War when, you know, half a million enslaved individuals liberate themselves and try to join, you know, and, and men try to join with the with the Union Army and, and basically force Lincoln's hand. It's a military provision. They force Lincoln's hand with the Emancipation Proclamation it is first and foremost um, making legal what black men have already been doing, which is joining with Union forces to fight for the freedom of others. And so you can see this in the wars of independence in Latin America. Um, you can see it in different um, areas of revolt in the Caribbean. So this is my main argument that black men and women were on the forefront of these, like I said, very watershed issues that are pushing freedom and democracy forward um, throughout American history. Not saying that we've perfected it, but saying that these are the people who were sort of insisting on it, whether it was in, you know, as boots on the ground in warfare or in, you know, newspapers um, or as uh, artists or as teachers or as educators or as thinkers. I mean, you can just see it over and over again that these are the people who are who are pushing this idea of, of, of freedom forward. And, and so when we talk about, um, you know, the founding and and the freedom, um, it, one of the things you just said, you talked about how black folk black folk were uh, participating in struggles for freedom not just um, to free themselves individually, but but to free others as well. 
Um, and I think that that's something uh, that needs to be uh, understood is that um, from the beginning, um, all people benefited from the work of African people to free themselves from this peculiar institution. Um, you, you mentioned, though, like going back to the time of Columbus. So how do you fit that into your history? Because, I mean, I see that you jump into, by the time we get to page 95 on the 18th century Afro-American revolutionaries, you're talking about one of my favorites here, Rebecca. What a book that was. I saw you reference that on your Twitter page. I actually was reading that to my children as bedtime stories back in the day. I mean, that, you know, <laughs> pretty serious. Um, and, you know, I mean, you seem to touch, I mean, you're going into in, into the Atlantic area. You're talking about Jamaica. Uh, you're, you're jumping through some, I see you even mentioned John Punch. You're talking about Afro-Mexicans. But you start off dealing with Afro-Americans and in Washington, like, tell me about like how you saw the book, because you start with chapter one, the rise of Atlantic slavery in a world historical context. And then it's like you have such a breadth of information where you, 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 you know, it's I mean, you've got so much in here. I'm looking at some of the images. I mean, the 1599 portrait from Ecuador which is something that I was just dealing with uh, most recently in a book study uh, where we were talking about uh, the African uh, during the, the, the period of post-Renaissance and, and those kinds of things in, in, in Europe, etc. You've got a lot of like powerful info. How do you have this set up? I mean, I see you, I see you talking about Thomas Hobbes. I mean, you're you're going in. So when a person picks the text up to start reading, what's the best way for them to tackle this? Because you're you're covering so much. That's what I want to know. Like, if a person is saying, like, you know, we were talking earlier that we're so bogged down by so many things and there's so many great books. Where would you have a person to begin? We know every good book we want to start at the very beginning, but what really outlines what you were just discussing about founding and freedom in a capsulated way that would make folks say, okay, now I need to move on to the next part of this to get the full story. Is there, is there any particular part of the text that you think really brings that home first? I see so much here. There's just so much. What are your thoughts? Do you understand I mean, what I'm asking? Th there's, I, feel, I mean, there's a lot of information. It, I know it is overwhelming. Like I, this is like I said, but this is the point of the book. Like I, I say in the introduction, let it overwhelm you. It's okay. <laughs> there, there's no quiz at the end. Like, Good. but let it, I love that. Let it, let it, you know, the, the idea is that this is, this is our history. I mean, for me, honestly, the Twitter thing has been the best because it's little digestible yeah. bits of information right. that you can glance at quickly. But if you're following along, you start to realize, wait a minute, like, like I said, these aren't exceptions. Men and women of African descent have been essential to every aspect of our history, whether in the United States or in the Americas at large. And so that's, I'm kind of excited about the Twitter thing in terms of like, you know, I feel I feel like I'm I'm joining hands with people like you and all these scholars out there. And I try to say like, you know, with when we talked about like Rebecca Proton, I'm going to cite the book that this came from. So, but my my goal is to try to, as, as I think you are too, you know, tell American history in a more complete and accurate way. And so it's kind of nice to be able to do it one tweet at a time, as opposed right. to it's very it's a lot in 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 the book and it's all connected. And I will say. 
you know, I'm, so I'm teaching a class right now and I'm loving it so much and we're about to finish. So I'm like, I'm kind of like already nostalgic for it, but um, it's called Afro-Caribbean Latinx Histories in the New World. So, um, and sorry, in the Americas. So sorry, in the Americas. And it's for an American studies, it's in the American studies department at UVA. And so I've got a lot of American studies people who say, look, we usually, we often just kind of stick in the U.S. sometimes, you know, I've got a lot of students who are like, have like, have family history from Latin America or the Caribbean. And so one of the things we're trying to bring home in the class is that, you know, this is American history, not only in the sense that like, we should think of the Americas like as a whole, because we're, they're all interconnected. Like this is like U.S. history. Like, so we start the class, we talk about um, some research that came out about the old North church. And so we were just talking about this on Twitter. And I think his name is Jared Hardesty did some research about this church where Paul Revere, like put the lanterns, one up by sea, two up by land or whatever, you know, the, like the super famous founding, founding story of Paul Revere and the American revolution. And Jared Hardesty found that some of these church founders, I mean, first of all, it's not a surprise that they're involved, you know, their, their means, their wealth to support the church comes from enslavement, because that, right. as I said, that's the economic motor of, of the Americas. There's people and humans, individuals involved, but I'm just saying it is the industry that makes the wealth for, for everything about people don't have to actually be involved in plantation society to be, to be getting wealth, as you, everybody knows. You can be in insurance, you can be in banking, Correct. you can be in bank. But uh, all linked to the it's all, it's all linked to it. Yeah. So it's, but my point is, it's not like this aha moment. Every time we're like, oh my gosh, this institution, there were slave owners who were investing in it. Like to me, it's like, yes, like that's how it worked. But what he found also was that these, these founding members of the church, which, and by the way, the church now is a tourist place and has this like cute chocolate shop, like named after one of the guys. And so the guy who was getting the chocolate was involved in, in um, uh, illegal, which slavery was legal, but he was involved in illegal slave trading from, I think it was Barbados to Suriname. Mm. And then there was like a mutiny and he was murdered. And like, it's this whole kind of dark thing. And the, and the wow. church was like, oh, okay. All right. Well, maybe we should change the name of the chocolate shop. And the NEH just gave him the grant to kind of go mm. through the history. And to me, it's these things of like, yeah, it's, you find these things are unpleasant, but like, you just, we have to deal with it. And to me, I'm like, it's so emblematic of our American founding that like, you know, this Caribbean history we're going to talk about, it's not over there. It's not far away. It's right, right. here. It's connected Correct. to yeah. everything, you know, so I, I, and this is what I was saying too, like where I come from, like my, where I'm from, it's, it was founded by Bahamians. Like, I, mean, I keep finding the connections between Latin America and the Caribbean and Afro descendants from there as being like so intertwined in this U.S. story. So for example, you know, a lot of the black soldiers and black officers in the war of 1812, trying to protect um, New Orleans from the British, those are Haitian individuals. Those are people who had come, who had left Haiti during the, the, the uh, revolution and who were, you know, trained military officials who were Afro-Haitians who are being enlisted by Andrew Jackson, mm. you know, of the Trail of Tears. And so like, these stories become really, really complicated. I do think it's interesting too to talk talk about like settler colonialism. Like people are on the wrong, you know, wrong side and right side of history. In other words, like sometimes these soldiers are fighting in wars that from retrospects. Right. They're complicated wars. But on the other hand, you know, it's sometimes picking up, you know, a, a weapon for one's nation is like one way to, to declare citizenship and to protect one's family. So right. it's, yeah. it's, no. it's, it's not a linear history. It's, it's a complicated one, but we're all connected. I think what you just said is exactly the point of the book, right? It's like, I think that's what people needed to hear, that when you pick this text up, it's not going to underwhelm you. <laughs> <laughs> You, you're going to definitely be like, whoa, right? 
and it's going to jump from, again, uh, the history of the Atlantic. You're going to come into the Americas. You're going to go back out into the Caribbean. You're going to come right back in. And it's taking you on this journey, but it's complicated. And we have to accept that, right? Glenn Singleton, in his book, Courageous Conversations, talks about how one of the norms that we have to accept for engaging in, in these kinds of conversations is is that we're, we're willing to hang out in some uncertainty, realizing that we can't solve all the issues and the problems in one sitting. And that's a mind shift for many folks. They want to read a text that's short and sweet that tells them a nice little story where at the end, everybody lives happily ever after. But that's not American Founders. American Founders is about taking you through the complexity so that you can understand that this is your responsibility. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your progeny to understand this history. And I think that's one of the uh, powers of of the book is that um, it, it attempts to to bring sense to the chaos, which is our present reality in which people have all of these varied understandings and they're on different sides of the political spectrum. But the book sort of makes it clear of how these things began and who was there at the very beginning. We have to redefine what it means to be a founder. You know, some would never even think about Prince Hall as being an American founder, but Prince Hall was most definitely an American founder. We don't think about that because we've been trained to think about what founding is and what founding fathers are. And the more I say that, the more I think about the movie The Purge, you know, our new founding fathers. <laughs> and it's and, and, and it's like we have to get out of this hagiographic perspective of, you know, the Jeffersons and the Washingtons and those folks at the expense of the Bannockers, uh, the Lafayettes and others, right? Like it's it's important for us to understand if we're going to say that Washington threw that coin across the Potomac, then we have to realize that coin has two sides. Um, but also it's ahead. important to point out that the, that the Washingtons and the Jeffersons and the Madisons and the, the Monroes, they were mixed race families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not that the, everybody had equal, you know, some of, you know, there were enslaved family members in those families. But right. my point is to me, that's like such a powerful metaphor for that. To, the of complexity. The, of the, yeah. and, and of the founding. I mean, our founding family was a mixed race family that some of whom were enslaved, some of whom weren't. I mean, to me, that is the American story. That's the American founding. And it's also the Mary, we live in, in the wake to quote the brilliant Christina Sharp, but we live in the wake of all of that. You know, that's mm-hmm. what shapes us now. But I mean, I remember like they were trying to show my son like um, pictures from Monticello and he was like, what is that? And they couldn't figure out what it was. And they contacted some like high up museum person. He was like, oh, it's a marble. It's a marble that was used by an enslaved child to play because mm. children didn't have to, to be forced into labor until they were six or seven. Oh, and I not just, until. Okay. Not until. But I just thought also, <laughs> but what a way to introduce the topic to my son, who was, I think, you know, seven, to recognize like these are children just like you playing right. with toys, just like you. This could be you. Mm. And this is our founding. And, you know, to just to sort of understand, like, and again, it's not about CRT stuff. It's not about making people feel guilty or people that it's mm. just, it's just what happened. And so we can go forward and, you know, t- learn from what happened and go forward and try to, you know, see what we want, the best future that we want to try to, re- to try to realize this democracy and to try. And that's why I feel like the, these individuals and the American founders did. They're taking the best ideals. I think it's the most patriotic book in the world. These are mm. men and women who gave their lives mm. for the best ideals of this country, of democracy, 
they they fought to realize them and to make them true. Mm. And I can't think of anything more patriotic than that. And so I think to me, it's like a celebration. Is it out of like this horrible grimness that we are we are a nation founded on slavery? We are a hemisphere founded on slavery? Yes. But we have to come to terms with that. We have to we have to deal with that. So we talked about the idea of founding, the idea of freedom. We talked about the complex reality of American democracy and black folk fighting within this American democracy to achieve a true freedom and to establish a greater democracy. And we talked about how your book has this hemispherical component and you're jumping from our side here in in what we know as the Americas today, jumping into the Caribbean, jumping into the Atlantic, uh, the southern parts of the Americas. When you talk about America, you're not just talking about the United States, right? You're talking about the Americas. And I think that's another thing that folks need to understand. When we say America's the best, America's, yeah. It's like, what America are we talking about? Because Canada is also a part of the Americas. Mexico is a part of the Americas. Uh, Peru is also a part of the Americas. And I think that's, you know, people have, it reminds me of this, uh, the event that took place in, um, what is it, Fort Myers, I guess. I can't remember in, uh, in Florida, I guess, where the gentleman was, in the Costco and they asked him about his mask and he he went ballistic on the lady. I think it was an Asian, older Asian lady and an Asian man tried to stand up to protect her and the man is threatening and all of this. But on his shirt, and I use it in a lot of trainings with teachers, I said, can you read what his shirt says? And it says, running the world since 1776. Wow. And I always say, look at the man's reaction to these quote unquote foreigners who have every right to be here as citizens of the United States as as anyone else, right? And here's this shirt. So we see his behavior, we see his outlook, and the shirt tells it all. You know, running the world since 1776. And I always say, this is a distorted understanding of history because uh, the United States was not running anything in 1776. Yeah. They hadn't even finished fighting. They're super, and they were, and they're worried about are the Spanish going to keep going to keep a hold of Florida? Is Spain and then Mexico going to keep a hold of the whole, you know, western part of the continent? Mm-hmm. Um, is France going to keep holding on to the whole middle part of the continent? I mean, nothing was settled. But also, yeah, that's, it is such a it's I mean, that that's such a perverted fantasy, too, of just like sort of Isn't like it? the anxiety. And I mean, that's the thing I like to do with this class is like just to hold up maps of just like North America. Speaking of Florida, the very first recorded Christian marriage in what becomes the U.S. happens in St. Augustine. And I'm going to forget the dates, like whenever the founding date was like 1565 or whatever. And it's between an African woman named Luisa de Abrego and a Spanish soldier from Segovia named Miguel something. Um, That's the first recorded marriage, Christian marriage, but that the Spaniards record. This is well before Jamestown. This is well before 1776. I mean, and this is what I mean by, you know, founders. The Americas, it is African, it's European, it's indigenous, it's all of these things. And the the U.S. was never this kind of monolith that that I think that we've kind of created as as a fantasy, like looking back. But as you know, you know, we tell stories about the past to suit our present, right? And so Mm -hmm. I think it's these these contests of like, who gets to tell the history, who gets to hold the microphone. Um, But as I say, always, you know, at the end of my talks, I'm like, you know, multiculturalism, it's not politically correct. It's historically accurate. (laughs) It is the demographic truth of Mm. how this nation 
was founded. So there were always, you know, people, men and women of African descent here, always, there are always men and women of indigenous, always men and women of, of, you know, indigenous descent, always people speak in Spanish here since California, since New Mexico, you know, always. So it's all connected. And I think, and I think, the, I think these are things to celebrate. Again, these are not things to shy away from. I think this makes us richer and stronger. Um, and I, I think it's, I think it's caused to, you know, to, to come together, not, not to divide apart. And, you know, just for fun's sake, I mean, we know the image I have pulled up now of the old yep, civilization, 1200 BCE. I mean, uh, you look at the images, you see clear, distinct African features along with Mestizo features. I mean, you can see the difference between this image here, which clearly looks Nubian, and this Mestizo looking image that's right here. And all of these Olmec heads were found together in the same place in Veracruz. And obviously there was a community of people Africans and indigenous folks or native peoples that were working together from the earliest times. I was writing an article. I've been writing this article for six years. It's got to eventually, I guess, become a book talking about racial betrayal in the founding of New Spain. And I was examining this idea of African folks who were coming to the Americas as conquistadors. Mm -hmm. And why would people of color be helping white men to actually conquer other people of color. And so I was examining that and talking about how this idea of racial solidarity based in skin color or complexion is a modern notion, right? And there was no pan African idea. There was no pan people of color idea that existed. And Matthew Restall in his writings, he does a lot of great research and he pulls out some what he calls biographical patterns and talks about some of the people that you mentioned in your text. I mean, Juan Garrido, right? Um, Sebastian Toral, uh, you know, Pedro Fulupo and Juan Bardales and Antonio Perez and Juan Portugues and Juan Garcia. Like these are all African people who were coming to the Americas in the 15th century. I mean, this is this is the kind of stuff that folks don't know enough about. And so, you know, I just I can't say enough about how important this book, American Founders, how people of African descent established freedom in the new world. I can't say enough about how important this is to have in your collection. I hope that the conversation that we've been having today has really piqued the interest of you as listeners and is making you want to grab the text, but also find out about those people who are on the cover. I mean, even if you don't go out and buy the text today, look it up, go, go, go type it in online, look at the cover and do the research. And as we come to the end of the show, Dr. Fuenza Coles, I want to ask you, we always ask folks to give our audience a send away, a, a charge. What would be your charge to our audience concerning this information, talking about American founders and, and people of African descent and their non-negotiable desire to, to be a part of freedom on this side of the uh, ocean? You know, what's your charge to our listeners with regard to the information we've talked about today? How do they go and walk this out? How do they live this out? How do they allow the information and what we've talked about to impact their lives what would be a charge? What would you say? 
to the listener? I mean, one thing that's really important to me is, you know, some people have um, thought of this as sort of like an African-American history book, but I think of it as American history, full stop. You know, that this is, as I said, I think it's a patriotic uh, way to think about our history. I think it's, I think it's a more accurate way to think about our history. And I think it's one that is, it's inclusive. It includes everyone. Everyone's a part of this complicated story. Although as I'm pointing out in this book that, you know, men and women of African descent have been the protagonists in this story of democracy. And they, they worked very often with, you know, European descended and indigenous people as well towards, towards, uh, as I said, trying to realize and to, to make true the goals that we set for ourselves as Americans. I hope it's an inspiration, like I said, to come together. This isn't about divisiveness. This is about what we can do collectively to make real and to follow in the footsteps of, to me, this is the best of American history, what I've, what I've you know, the, the individuals I've been able to focus on in this book. And there's so many more that we could talk about and that aren't in the book, but that this should be I hope a charge for us to to work together going forward to continue and honor this struggle to make these best ideals of our country a reality. Hmm. Well, it's been a pleasure to have this discussion. And hey, this this book is on the nightstand right now. And, you know, definitely, you know, my daughter, she is a, a major in education, but a minor in history. And uh, since she was a little girl, she always said that she wanted to get a PhD in history, right? And then open up a bakery. <laughs> but the minute this book came in, she took it. And, you know, I looked at it briefly, uh, was reading up on it and so forth. And then all of a sudden, you know, a few nights back, I said, I need to dig in a little bit more on this book. I'm going to be having a discussion with the author and I'm looking at all my bookshelves. I'm like, where's where's my book? Where is my American founders book? And my daughter said, I got an idea where it is. <laughs> she goes to her bookshelf and she pulls down the copy because she was also very moved by the cover and the information and wanted to jump into the text as well. So it's definitely something that I think every all of our listeners, you, you need to go ahead and, and, and jump on this and get a copy of it. I thank you for doing the research, Doc, and for, you know, putting this out into the universe because it's another helpful piece of helping to restore the voice and the history of a people who have been long neglected in the traditional accepted narrative of American history. Thank you so much for coming out today. And from those of us at Leading by History, we say peace. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Leading by History podcast yet again. We appreciate your support. And as always, never take what you hear on face value, but always go and investigate the sources. Look, until we get together again on another episode, we want you to stay safe and we say to you, peace.